Hosea, we're ready for chapter 10. We're moving on. And uh, we'll get, I don't think we'll get horribly far here tonight, uh, but uh, it gets deep. <laughs> so be prepared and uh, just pray for discernment as we look at this and as, as we weigh these things out. And it's a pretty cool section of scripture to show us our Savior, to show us how Jesus is the Word made flesh and how when you think, think back, to, he's a poor Galilean, right? He's from Nazareth. You know, he did, um, anything good come from there? They, they didn't have much. You know, they didn't, uh, when they go you know, for his time for circumcision, they offer the meagerless, you know, the, the, the lowest, the cheapest thing that, that God had for them. You know, they offer the doves you know, for the sacrifice. You know, they didn't have money. You know, God had provided for them through the wise men for sure so that they could live in Egypt the time they had to before they came back. And so, do they have a copy of Scripture? Were they all sitting around reading their Bible at the, at the morning table like you and I have the opportunity to do? No, he didn't have a phone app, didn't have all that. But he didn't need it. He's a word made flesh. You know, they can go to the synagogue and talk to We know that it's, it was his habit to go to the, to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he read, and then they liked to hear him read. You know, and, uh, his town, when he goes to his hometown, they, they let him. He's here, yeah, you go read. You know, and he, that's what he declares himself. You know, this is fulfilled in your ears. But we get to see him pull a text that you and I have probably not heard and thought about and, and use it in an exciting way. And so I'm going to give it away before we get there. Um, but uh, we're kind of continuing in the same vein as chapter 9. Uh, and so chapter 10, verse 1. Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of the fruit, he hath increased the altars. According to the goodness of, the, of, his, of his land, they have made goodly images. And so the main thing we need to get out of this is that Israel is compared to a vine. He says here they're an empty vine. This is a common theme, and this is where we're going to park for a while, that's used throughout Scripture. Uh, the Bible uses imagery. I mean, if you haven't picked that up yet, that's why I love it. Images and imagery carry so much meaning, you know. Uh, when they ask Jesus who he is, how's, how, does he just say he's God? No, he's like, I'm the way, I'm the door, I, I'm the bread of life, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branch. You know, he has all these images that he portrays because he's so deep, you know, and all these images bring all that with it that we can kind of like, all right, I get you a little bit. I'm a sheep, I'm a lion. You know, I was like, how do you juxtapose, how do you put that together? A lion and a lion? He's both though, you know, so he, he gives us a fuller picture because he uses all that. Israel is the vine. And so, let's go into a deep, we can look at this in multiple passages from, from multiple prophets, but we're going to look at it through Isaiah. That was the one I chose. Look at Isaiah chapter 5. We'll be back to Hosea. But Hosea and Isaiah aren't two books you want to use at the same time because I'm going to get thoroughly confused. But Isaiah chapter 5. Saying Hosea and Isaiah reminds me of a joke Joel told us at the supper table one night. He's like, a fireman had twins. You know what he named his, named his twins? And we're like, no. He's like, Jose and Hosby. So I don't know. I guess, yeah, so I don't know. It, I don't think I told it exactly right, but the... Uh, <clears throat> uh, Isaiah 5. And we'll read 1 through 7. 
says Nahan, now I will sing to myself, I was, uh, well, sorry, now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. So let's, let's look at that for a minute. So it's in a perfect place. It's like a very fruitful hill. This is where you want to plant your garden. Verse 2, and he fenced it. And he gathered out the stones thereof, and he planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes. And it brought forth wild grapes. So he produces this, he puts the vineyard in the most fertile ground. He puts a fence around it protection, guards it, like, right, uh, now, if we were going to uh, plant a garden, well, about anywhere in Indiana right now, it's like, well, you got to put something to keep the rabbits out, you got to have something to keep the deer out, you got to have something that keeps, you know, the neighbors out, you got you know, to put a fence around it, you know, you have, to, you have to guard it, so it has to have protection. We cleared it of stones, you know, I remember the first time dad tilled the garden uh, at the five acres when he bought it down here, he tilled it all up, and we went around, and we picked up all the rocks and we stacked them on the spot and then after it rained I remember walking by and looking at it again and seeing a shiny rock I went out there and I found this cool spearhead I still have it to this day and said I was 11 years old and I spelled the same because I called it a spearhead you found a spearhead <laughs> maybe I need a spearhead but <laughs> I thought it was a spearhead so I but I had a shiny out there every time we would till that garden we'd always find another rock but we'd keep them out uh, same way here you know you get the field you know the farmer pitches them all in the corner you see them in the corner of the field you know they, they have a spot where they pick them up put them on the floorboard of the tractor you know in the, in the cab and they throw them out and they get home they usually have a spot where they throw them and so here they get there they're going to make this ground good you get all the rocks out of it Puts a tower in the middle of it. This is a place where you can live. It's a place that has um, advanced warning because you can go up high and you can see. It's defendable. You have the high ground. If someone comes, you can throw all your rocks you had left over. You can throw them off on them. You can shoot bows and arrows at them. You can throw spears. You can wait on it's, it's all made for that. It's a safe place, a nice place to live. He puts a wine press in it. He gives everything to, now you get the grapes, and now I've given you the tools to be able to make wine out of it. You can press the grapes. And so it's set up for business. Perfectly set up for business. I mean, hand it to him. What more can be done to make it worth? Nothing. You know, he's made it perfect. Verse 3. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. So he asks Israel, he says, okay, this is what we're doing. This is what we're talking about. And I want you to decide. I won't judge. I want you to judge what should be done. Because I gave everything to you to produce grapes and make wine, and you made wild grapes. And so how do you read wild grapes? Wild grapes, think weeds, you know. Oh, you should be producing fruit, but you just made weeds. And, and the best thing that I can think of is, uh, I think we've probably all been here, right? You're push mowing your grass, unless you're rich and you get your lawnmower. No, but we've been, you push mowing the yard, you know, you're out, or you're out walking in your yard, and you see strawberry leaves, and you look around, oh, strawberries. And you go down and you pick them up, you got a wild strawberry, and... It don't taste like no strawberry, does it? It's all seeds. You know, it's all, it looks kind of deformed. It, it's not a big old plump thing that Walmart's trying to sell us right now that tastes like styrofoam. It's not like, even like that. You know, it's just all seeds in a bunch and nasty. It's wild strawberry. You know, there's a difference between, you know, a strawberry in a patch and a strawberry that's out wild. It, it, it ain't the same. You know, it's not, bleh, it's gross. That's what this is. It's like a wild grape or what, uh, the wild grape vines in the, in the woods of Indiana. My dad always called possum grapes. It's like, 
don't eat them. They're nasty. Possibly can eat them, but that's about it. You know, they're desperate. You know, just these little bitty old, tiny little. They ain't looking like a Welch's grape, that's for sure, or a grape in a vineyard. He says, that's what, you know, I'm expecting now. I put you in the fertilest ground. I put the best plants in the ground. I give you all this. And he goes, I'm expecting grapes and wine and wild, wild grapes. You give me possum berries? Those nasty. And weeds. So he says, I'll let you decide. So verse 4. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I've not done it? It's a rhetorical question. Nothing. I gave you everything. It says, wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, it brings forth wild grapes? You, you didn't tend it at all? You didn't work it at all? You didn't prune it at all? You didn't do anything? And all I get is whatever's wild that just came up? I get weeds? Verse 5, and now go to, I will tell you what I will do with my vineyard. Kind of, okay, I'll give you a chance to judge. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. All right, so let's think about this for a minute. The hedge thereof. Um, some of you might have hedges. Um, uh, England had hedges, uh, and during, uh, France had hedges. And, and so, like, during Normandy, the, the hedgerows were a, a thing to get through. You know, it's like each field was like its own little battle to get to the next one, because turns out, even today, a hedge around your house, especially a thorny hedge around your house, it deters bandits better than any fence or Brinks alarm system or anything else that's out there. Um, Megan and Adam have an alarm system, and uh, Cash was driving his little 4x4 today, and he had Ray in the car with him, and he goes by, and he stops, and he, I'm watching him, but he doesn't know I'm watching him, and he pulls up to a big old pine tree, and he's like, Ray, that is a big tree. Look at that. He goes, big tree. She's like, yeah. <laughs> he pulls on over, and he's like, look at these rocks. Daddy has around the house. Those are rocks. And she's like, yeah. And he pulls up to the Brink's security sign. He goes, see that sign? That is a blue sign. He goes, yeah. He goes, it says, happy birthday. Pulls on down. <laughs> so, happy birthday when you get to Megan's so. <laughs> house. This is a hedge. It's saying, hedge of protection, right? Security. You can't get in here. And so, you don't want to, if you've ever run into a briar patch, you don't do it twice, you know, so unless you're a briar fox. You, you want to avoid it. You get around it. And so a hedge is the, the most thing. He says, I want to take away this hedge. This is key. going to take away a hedge. Where have we heard that before? What, where, where's a, anybody remember where a hedge is used in the Bible as a good thing? It's in Job. Huh? Job. Yeah, he says, God's like, uh, you consider my servant Job? And the devil's complaining, right? And he's like, you got a hedge around him. And Tim, uh, oh, what's his name? Tim, the comedian. Tim Hawkins, yeah, he makes a big joke. He's like, oh, I can't get in there. Shrubbery. You know, he makes all this big joke about, you know, I can't, you know that really keeps the devil out. No, he doesn't. The first time I heard him do that joke, I'm like, you don't understand. Hedges are it. And if you have a hedge around your house, of course you're like, nah, next house. Go someplace easier. This shrubbery is something that the devil complains about. You know, this hedge, he's like, you've got protection all around him. That's how the devil sees it. Um, so let's not make light of the hedge here. Uh, you basically, you've made a shield around him. You have a force filler. I can't get to him because you've got him protected in this hedge. It's a hedge of protection around him. We talk about that. I pray a hedge of protection around you. We prayed that before, right? We say that. We think that way as Christians. And the devil says, if you go back, that's uh, Job 1.10. He says, this hedge of protection you have, it's just not like around the outside of your property. Like we would have, he goes, it's on every side. That's how he literally says it. You put a hedge around him on every side. I can't come at him from any angle that I don't have to go through this protection that you have. It's not fair. 
It's basically, it's supernatural. The protection that God has around his man is supernatural to the point where the devil says, I can't get to him. You've got him sheltered in this hedge. He's, he's surrounded. He's guarded on all sides. And the devil has to get permission to be able to get to him because God's hedge is a good thing. And so God says, I built a vineyard. I put a hedge around it. I put a fence around it. Goes, I'm taking it away. Talk about fearing vulnerable. You, you, you've been living in the protection of a hedge. You've been living guarded on all sides in a supernatural way by God the Father who puts fear and dread on people. A uh, little Christian secret I'll give you that I've used with our family since they've been old enough to hear me when I do it, but we're going to Florida on vacation. I don't pay for security. <laughs> I don't pay for those things. So as I'm backing out of the driveway, we're getting ready to go on a vacation. It is our family's habit that we sit in the car and if it's just Elaine and I now, uh, we'll do the same thing. I pray over the house. I pray over like, God, I can't be here. You know, and this is all built up because you gave me a job and you help us to purchase it. And it has the things in it that we love and cherish. If the barrel burns down, I know you've got something better for us. I'd rather not do that. <laughs> Lord, I pray a hedge of protection around it. I pray that if anybody turns around here and they think it's empty, that they have a fear and a dread that comes upon them. I pray if they look in the window that they are terrified when they look in, that they run away scared. Because God does that kind of stuff. And I pray that each and every time. And so I would give you advice. <laughs> if you don't want to worry about your house, give it to the Lord to watch while you're gone. He does a good job. And so he puts a hedge of protection around it. And so I, yeah, I'm, I, I do that because I know God does that. In verse 5, he says, I'm going to take it away. I'll go, I'll tell you now. Uh, what I'll do to my vineyard, I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up. Anything can wander in now. Anything can do it. It's going to break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. See, if you don't have good borders, if you don't have good protection, you're vulnerable to, to being overrun, to be taken advantage of. The things are going to come in and take it all away, and that'll preach, won't it? It's unheard of. We don't do that. No, common people, you protect what is yours. Verse 6. It says, now I will lay it waste. This is what happens when you don't have protection. It gets laid to waste. Nobody else cares for it like we care for it, right? Nobody else is going to watch out for it like you watch out for it. I had people burying uh, fiber optic through our thing. They tore it all to pieces. Made us all mad. I've called every company there is. Like, you just come on a property because you've got an easement and just destroy everything inside. Throw their trash everywhere. I can tell you what they had for lunch. I can tell you where they worked on it. Oh, they had trouble starting it. There's starting fluid. There's duct tape. There's this. They put an iron bar. I just strung a... Thing down. I went to talking to them. They didn't speak English, so they just said whatever and did whatever. And so same. Well, they don't care. They didn't care for it like I cared for it. They didn't care for my neighbors. They've done my neighbors worse. It's like, yeah, they don't care. It's not theirs. You know, we're here. We're next town next week. That's where God says, yeah, you don't have this protection. They come right in. He said they lay it waste. He says they didn't prune it. They didn't dig it. And there shall come up briars and thorns, and I will come out in the clouds that they rain on it no more. He said, so, yeah, they're going to lay it to waste. It's going to be a scorched earth. It's not, he said, you didn't work it. No one's going to work it. They're not going to prune it. You have to um, prune that back to make bigger, bigger fruit. You have to dig it to make sure that fertilizer gets to the roots. He said, no, it's just going to go to waste. Matter of fact, he says there's going to be briars and thorns. What's that? Thinking biblically. What's he doing to the land here? cursing it, right? That's the curse. Briars and thorns. Uh, now I've made it not like, I've made it even harder to get back there. I'm putting this briar head, putting briars and, and thorns upon it. That's the curse. That's the thing that happens when Adam leaves the garden. I curse the ground with thorns. It's going to be thistles and all that stuff. Yeah. Because I put all in there. Verse 7. 
For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. He tells us the answer. Who's the vineyard in the Bible? House of Israel. And the men of Judah. So he's talking about both parts. He goes, Judah, you're not out of this. I'm bringing you both into it. So Ephraim, or the, the house of Israel, and Judah, the southern kingdom, has a pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. He says, I, I, I've turned it over to judgment. Uh, and then he pronounces six woes to those that are the vineyard to Israel here. Verse 8, he says, I'm going to decrease your fertility. We saw that last week in chapter 9. Verse 11, he says, I'm going to, uh, I'm a, you'll, you'll be a nation that's not good for anything but partying. You're just going to be looked to be entertained all the time. Uh, you'll be drunk. Uh, you'll never think of the Lord. They'll never even come to your mind. You won't think about me. You won't thank me. You won't do anything. He says, I'll just turn you over to your own thing. Uh, because the chief purpose of man is to glorify God, right? We're, he wants, we want to be restored with him. We want to be right with him. We want to be praising him. And he's like, you're not even going to think of me. Uh, that's a curse upon you. Verse 13, he says, you're going into captivity. You're going to be captured. Uh, you're going to be dumber. He says, I'll take away the smartness. I'll take away your education system. You'll produce dumber children because of it. You will have, not have understanding. You'll have lower intelligence. America lowers the exit exams each and every year. Some states, you don't even have to be able to read to graduate high school. And we think we're doing good in it. I mean, literally, I talked about a bill that we're going to have to sign in Indiana to make sure that they teach reading in school. Uh, ridiculous. Uh, he says he's going to bring famine. He says he's going to bring humility. In verse 17, he says, I'll bring in strangers to replace you. And he says, they're going to live off the things you made. He goes, a part of my judgment is, I'll let you do all the work, and they're going to take your money, and they're going to give it to a stranger who's never worked for it a day in their life. Sounds familiar, right? They said they're going to give out $53 million to illegal immigrants. Do you get a bonus like that? If they live in hotels, nice hotels, free of charge. Do you live rent-free? Do you have free insurance? And how long have we all been paying into it? But illegal immigrants, this is made possible to the illegal immigrants. They get all this because they're here illegally. Well, since when is it a bonus to be a criminal? Well, it's a good day to be in the United States where good is evil and evil is good, right? But that's, that's where we are today. Uh, they're even giving them voting rights. You never lived in this country before. You're not even from here. You should be able to vote. Uh, uh, it makes you, makes you sick. Founding fathers are spinning their graves, right? In verse 18, oh, let's read this one. Verse 18, woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as it were a cart rope. Literally, woe unto them who puts their sin on display and pulls it in a parade. Literally, draw their sins of vanity, draws pride, their pride on a pride parade, drawn with cords of vanity. He says, this is a judgment upon them. Have you ever seen a pride parade? You ever been driving downtown? And you're like, what's going on? Oh my gosh. I see why they don't show this on the news because this doesn't fit to be seen anywhere. The things that they do. Meg and I were going to an art display one time when we were down there. We we're like, what is this? Yeah. Uh, this has been years ago. This was probably the 90s. Uh, there was a parade in Texas and they filmed it and they distributed it to churches and said, this is what we're allowing in the cities and it's not fit to be viewed by anybody. Um, part of the judgment. Draw vanity like a pride. 
Man, you think of San Francisco, man. They were one of the first, right? Now it's a city not fit to be lived in. They cleaned it up for Xi when he came here, the Chinese president, but now that's, they, they talk about it it's like beyond hope. Verse 20 is another woe. It says they'll call good evil and evil good. That's a judgment on a nation. You get everything backwards. We talk about living in clown world now. We're kind of there. Verse uh, 21 talks about them being um, woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes. Imprudent in their own sight. They can't take instruction. They are so proud of themselves. And in verse 22, he talks about them making them drunk again. They'll just get stuck on the wine. So Israel's the vineyard. God set them up to produce grapes and to produce wine, and they didn't do it. So let's keep all this whole encounter in my mind and turn to Matthew, and we'll see what the Word made flesh does. Matthew 21. And I, and I love this. God rewards us going through a book of the Bible a verse at a time and taking our time and looking at it because we've been through Matthew as a church and, and, and now we're in Hosea and, and that's led us over here to Isaiah as we read this about uh, the vineyard. And we get to pull this together and we get to see Christ fuller. So Matthew 21, verse 33 is where we'll start. He says, uh, hear ye another parable. He's going to tell them a parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard, and he hedged it round about, and he digged a wine press in it, and he built a tower, and he gives it out, or he lets it out to a husbandman. He puts somebody in there, and he went into a far country. He goes, goes off. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandman that they might receive the fruits thereof. So apparently this was the deal. It's like, I have set you all up. I have made you a super good business here. Um, at no cost to them, ready for business. He puts them all in, sets it all up, puts them in the best place. He says, just produce it for me. So uh, how many of you would like to be given a 50-acre farm with a house on it, you know, a place to live, uh, supplies for a year, the crops are already planted, all you have to do is harvest them at the end of the year and give the guy that. That sounds like a pretty sweet deal, right? To have that kind of land to be able to do all that. that that's basically what he's doing. You just have to give me the produce. I would take that. No, all I got to do, you've already planted it all. I just had to gather it and then give it to you at the end. That sounds great. Um, yeah, so he says they're going to have them. He goes to his country. Verse 34, and when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husband that they might receive the fruits. Okay, verse 35. And the husbandman took his servants and beat one. So he sends another. They killed another. They stoned another to death. And again, he sent other servants more than the first. And they did unto them likewise. They beat, they stoned, they killed them. And last of all, he said unto them his son, saying, They will receive my son, or they will reverence my son. And when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and they cast him out of the vineyard, and they slew him. And when the Lord thereof of the vineyard, uh, vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? So he takes the same scenario, the same thing Isaiah said. There's a vineyard. He makes it all. He gives it all to them. They don't give the increase. Then he tells us what they have done to the prophets. That's these hired servants, right? They stone them. They kill them. They beat them. And then he says, oh, he's going to send his own son. And we know what he does to the son. And he says, tell you what, you judge. I don't want to judge in this. You judge. So they're like, okay, we'll judge. So verse 41 they say unto them, he will miserably destroy those, destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard to another husbandman, which shall render him the fruits in their season. 
Is that what happens? Yeah, he takes it away from Israel. Who's he gives it to? Gives it to us, right? He gives it to the church. He gives it to the Gentiles. And so they pretty much pronounce their own sentence upon them. And this is a lot like David, right? David didn't, you know, he hid in his sin. And it's not until he, um, Samuel comes and that, yeah, tells him the story of a man with his little sheep. He's like, oh, this is horrible. Like, you did that. You're the man. You know, you did this with Bathsheba and Uriah. Um, let's go on verse 42. We're continuing what Christ has for us. It says, the stone which the builders... Skip part. Uh, Jesus said to them, did you not ever read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. And this is the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Fruits are important. Verse 44, whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but whomsoever it shall fall shall grind them to powder. And then verse 45, and when the chief priests and the Pharisees, these guys are quick, had heard the parable, they perceived he speaks of them. I think he's talking about us. <laughs> They're pretty sharp, aren't they? <laughs> but when they sought to, to lay hands on them, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. So they finally, even they get it. They're like, he's talking about us. It's like they should have known this. They're the ones that say they're scholars of the law. They're the religious leaders. He goes, I'm reading Isaiah to you. I'm giving it to you. And, and they pronounce their own judgment. That's what he says here. It's the fruit. Go back to Hosea chapter 10. So here we see Christ taking the Old Testament Scripture, then holding him to the standard like, it's like this lesson's been laid down once, and it's there for your instruction. Did you learn the lesson? And they didn't get it because they're like, we're going to take it a step further. We're going to kill the son. Chapter 10, verse 1, Hosea, Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. He doesn't give it to God. He uses it on himself. According to the multitude of the fruit, he hath increased in the altars. According to the goodness of the land, they have made goodly images. He uses it for himself. He kept it for himself. He used it on himself. It's even worse than that. They increased altars, not God's altars. God has an altar down in Jerusalem. He didn't need any more altars. They built their own altars for idols. They made images. They, they say it wasn't even God who did it. God gives us all this and puts us up in this perfect, sweet setup, and then we give glory to somebody else. We give honor to somebody else, and we give the fruit to somebody else, and we use it on us. So the harsh question about this is what about us? God's given us the vineyard that they rejected, right? That they didn't do a good job on. He goes, and Jesus says, I'm going to give it to somebody else. He took it from then. He has hedged us. He has a protection around us as a believer. He cares for us. He gives us what we need to work for him. He gives us the gospel, right? We understand if we're believers, we at least understand what the gospel is, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. In the 1 Corinthians 15, gospel in a nutshell, you know, we understand salvation, are we bearing fruit? Are we bearing fruit? And he uses the vineyard to say, I'm, I'm expecting fruit. He uses the talents, right? I gave some five, some, 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 or some ten, some five, and some one. You know, and he comes back and he expects some kind of increase. He goes, even if you didn't do anything with it, that you would help somebody else who's doing a good job. Well, here, take my talent and you use it. Or at least give it to a bank, right, and gain some interest on it. He holds them accountable. He talks about fig trees. He wants fig trees to produce figs. You know, he's like, you should be making something. Uh, hold with me and go to Mark 11. We should be producing something. Mark 11. We'll switch from... from from grapes, we'll switch to figs. And the next time we're going to talk about figs this much, I'll bring some Newtons for us all. Um, but uh, Mark 11. Uh, verse 12. 
And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry, speaking of Jesus. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the disciples heard it. I'll jump over to verse 20. So they go, day happens, they're coming back the next day. This is during that Passion Week. And in the morning, as they passed, or as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. It's not only just like withered leaves, it's like dried up from the roots. So we saw last week, we ended the verse about dried up from the roots. It's not going to produce anything in the future. And Peter calls it to remembrance here. And so, was Jesus just really hungry? Is that what this was about? What was he expecting to find on that tree? Fruit, figs, even though it says it's out of time. I think he's trying to tell us here the urgency. It's like, don't say, well, I'm just a new Christian. Or it's a busy season in my life right now. Or I don't know, maybe as it gets closer to the end or as I get into retirement, then I really work for you. He's like, it wasn't time for it to make figs. It's like, Jesus is like, I was expecting a fig. It's a fig tree. Fig trees make figs. It needs figs on it. And the whole point is to illustrate it. You know, he's not unreasonable. He's just saying, you should be producing something. You should be making fruit. We need to get busy. How long do we have? How much longer have we to produce? We're, I don't know. Because we're called the fig tree generation. If you look at Mark 24, not Mark 24, Matthew 24. But by prophecy scholars, we're considered the fig tree generation. Matthew 24, verse 32, or at least... Some of us are continued the fig tree generation. Matthew 24, verse 32. Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, and he putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, what things? We're in Matthew 24. Wars and rumors of war, you know, earthquakes in diverse places, you know, deception on all kinds of level. People saying, here's Messiah, there's Messiah, everywhere is Messiah. All those, all those things that we think of about signs of the end time. Uh, know, know that it's near even at the doors. Verse 34, Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass. But at the, of that day and of that hour no man knoweth, not the angels in heaven, but my Father only. So we don't know the time, but we know the season because we can judge the fig leaf. He saw, I, I saw a fig tree with leaves on it. It should be producing. Israel is the fig tree. Uh, it's the same way as with the vineyard. And he's saying they should have been producing fruit. They didn't. I give it to another generation. He says, when you see the fig tree begin to bud again, he cursed it. The roots were dried up for some 2,000 years. They're starting to show life. Many think the fig tree generations were anybody that was alive or born at the time when Israel became a nation again. And, and that generation's getting up there. It's in the 70s. So that's we're kind of like, well, how much longer do we got? I don't know. How busy should we be? <laughs> I think is the point. We don't know the day or the hour, but the big tree, we should be busy producing fruit. Uh, let's go back to Hosea 10. That could be a whole lesson. But um, for your consideration, uh, Hosea 10, verse 2, he says, Their heart's divided. Not only is he, they, they, you know, that they've taken, given a vineyard, they didn't make any fruit, and the fruit that they made, they gave to somebody else. They used it on themselves. They gave it to another God. Verse 2, their heart is divided. Now they shall be found faulty. He shall break down their altars, and he shall spoil their images. Um, um, their heart, they're, they're divided. 
Um, and the word divided is interesting. Um, it, it doesn't, you and I would think, oh, they're split. They're divided between two. Uh, but, but it means smooth or it means slippery or flattering. Uh, I guess if you talk of a smooth used car salesman, smooth talker, you know, you can think, think along that line. Um, our word for smooth and slippery would be slick. I was trying to think, do we have any politicians that we called slick? Yeah, was that the beginning of the end? I, I, I don't know. I was just part of the judgment. When all of a sudden America takes a turn, you know, from things that are happening, beginning to break down, God's like, oh, I'll send you somebody who's slick. Um, basically, insincere, insincerity. Put up a face one way, but they're not sincere. Um, and he's basically saying here that it should have broken your heart. When I came and you didn't produce, you should have been as disappointed in you as I was disappointed in you. You should have at least been repentant. Oh, God, yeah. You gave me everything and I was squandered all the time and I don't have anything. I don't have anything to show for it. What did I do with my life? Forgive me. We should have been begging for mercy, right? God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There should have been contrition. I, I spent it on myself and, and I built other altars and I gave it to somebody and I didn't leave anything for you. What an ungrateful servant am I? We should have been like, oh, ask ash heap, you know, and sackcloth and ripping ourselves and doing it. And he says, you didn't do any of that. So God says, I'll do it. I'll break your altar. I'll take away all the things you bought. I'll, I'll, I'll make you sorry, but it won't be until your repentance for salvation. I'll just make you sorry. So he pours out his wrath on them. Verse 3, for now they shall say, we have no king because we feared not the Lord. What should they do to uh, what then shall a king do to us? They're like, basically, we have no leader now because they didn't have a leader at this point. So others are going to come in and they're going to do what they want. Um, here's a terrifying thing to show the lateness of the hour. The United States of America is set on plan to sign away our sovereignty to a world system in May. That if they declare any kind of pandemic constitution, everything that we have that has stood for, that make us who we are, and that we govern our own selves, that we are independent by ourselves, we have surrendered over to foreign control. You think they'll care for us like we care for us? Uh, no. Now, we haven't signed it yet. I pray to God we don't. I, th I think we will. The plan is that we will. I think so. <laughs> Bingo. Because it's, and they've even told us this is the plan. And in 2000, I can't remember if it was 2015 or 2020, the World Economic Forum came out with their agenda. It's like, one, we're going to increase migration around the world. Okay. Uh, you'll own nothing and you'll like it. It's called the Great Reset. You can look these things up. Build back better. Uh, President Biden ran on that. Uh, we're going to take away your meat. You're not going to eat meat anymore. I don't know if you've tracked all the food plants and meat plants and everything that they keep burning up and destroying around the country. Um, oh, yeah, and we're going to, they've told this, they stated it outright. We're going to re remove the United States as a world power. It'll be divided up into other foreign nations to govern the world, but you'll be no longer a world threat. We're going to break you up. We're going to take too much for you to have. We're going to take it away from you. Um, a few nations will wield the power, not just the United States. And we're like, okay. Yeah, scary, Jerry. <laughs> but that's where we're at. Um, 
Yeah, so I want to continue to read this section because it's all one group and we'll quit. Uh, so they have spoken words because um, uh, we don't have a king over us. We surrendered it over. So they're going to come in. They're going to pick us apart and divide us among us. Um, <clears throat> China wants farm ground, so they're going to take it. Verse 4. They have spoken words, swearing falsely and making a covenant. Um, thus judgment springeth up as hemlock in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria shall fear because of the because of the calves of Beth Haven, that's the idols that they worshipped. Uh, for the people thereof shall mourn over it, and the priests thereof shall rejoice on it, and the glory thereof because of it departed from it. And so these foreign kings are coming in, they're going to take the golden calves they made, they're going to drag all that back, and I guess uh, they have it in drawings and stuff in Assyria when they do it. Verse 6, right on the queue. It shall also be carried into Assyria for a present to King uh, Jerob. Ephraim shall receive shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his own counsel. As for Samaria, her king is cut off as foam upon the water. I mean, foam on the ocean breeze, just blows it away. Verse 8. The high places also of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. The thorn and the thistle shall come up. That curse now comes on the land in those areas. And on the altars, and they shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills fall on us. So it's a big judgment because that is a, a familiar phrase. Uh, and Joshua, the king's running, hiding caves. And they're like, oh, hide from us. And uh, Luke 23, Jesus talks about in the last days, they will hide in caves and say rocks hide on us. In Revelation chapter 6, when the wrath of the Lamb is beginning to come out, they dig deep old bunkers. They go down to the ground, the rich and the powerful men, and they say, fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. And so this is like big time judgment. Kind of scary where we might be in all this. So we'll pick it up at verse 9 uh, next week. But uh, Hosea, man, he's got some stuff for us. And if we'd have read this 10 years ago, we'd been like, oh, that was weird, sad for them. But, man, it sure hits different today. That is for sure. Appreciate you all being here. Um, remember the day, uh, Saturday.